What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Husband and Wife Talk Podcast. My name is Corey. My name is Alex. And we have been trying to do this episode <laughs> since before COVID even started. Um, today we have a very special guest. His name is Devin Bandison. I met Devin through a mutual friend, Tony Rutasio, who's also been on the show. Devin is a life coach, among so many other things that we're going to get into today. And I have been to several of his... Um, his workshops and I was just so inspired with the work that he was doing that I was like, we have to get Devin on the show. Devin Bandison, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Corey. Thanks, thanks, Alex. It's been a minute getting here, but I'm excited to finally get on the call with you guys. Yeah. Yes. One of the things I failed to mention that Devin is also an author. He wrote the book Fatherhood is Leadership, which was a, a bestseller for you, which is amazing. Congratulations on that. I have a copy uh, sitting up on my bookshelf. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as, as two people who are like hoping to start a family someday, uh, that book is definitely going to come in handy for sure. <laughs> um, so let's get started with Wednesday Wisdom. Alex, do you have any uh, wisdom to drop on us? I do. Um, I was listening to a meditation from the app Calm, and it was about... Um, Basically, it was like all about like taking a break and being okay with taking a break, and that's something that I struggle with personally. Uh, COVID has been a very huge learning lesson for me, and every day is a little bit different. Some days are more successful than others, and um, she said something really beautiful at the end, and it's I I'm pretty sure she's not quoting someone. I think it's her. Her name is T Tamara Levitt, and she said, "Work is like a symphony, and you're allowed to take an intermission." And that really spoke to me, um, maybe just because of being a dancer and having and knowing how important intermissions are for my body. Um, it was really good for me to hear. And I think there are many other people out there and COVID has been a very long intermission, <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I still am trying to stay busy and I, I still am working a little bit, but even on days when, I do purposely like take a day off to breathe and take a break. I need to remind myself that I'm just taking a little intermission. I love that. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, that, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and piggyback go off of that it. a little bit. Um, I'm taking a, uh, a 90 day, kind of mindset, fitness reset. Um, I usually do three months completely sober. Uh, I've done that for the last three years and it's been like a really great, um, kind of just like body, mind, focus reset, you know? Uh, I love to party, so uh, it's a, it's nice to like have that little uh, time to reset my body and my mind. And I'm working with a, a coach right now who's doing a program called Ripped and Resilient. And one of the things that we were working on yesterday was uh, this idea of limiting beliefs. And I was, the, my very first gut reaction was, I don't have any limited beliefs. And then I was like, wait a minute. And then all these thoughts kind of started creeping into my head. Um, so thinking about limiting beliefs kind of led me down this dark hole and like, not dark hole, but like this moment of self-examination. The program just started yesterday and I was like, oh gosh, we're going to get some real work <laughs> done here. Um, but one of the limiting beliefs I have is that I, I, I'm not a planner. I tell everyone I'm not a planner. I'm not a planner and I've, I've lived 
my whole life just kind of believing that that wasn't a thing. And then uh, one question about limiting beliefs got me like rethinking and being like, I'm now kind of like, oh, like maybe I should take this time to become a planner. Hmm. So um, that was really big for me. So my Wednesday wisdom is to uh, look internally and uh, see what beliefs are limiting you and um, find someone, maybe a Devin, that you can talk to about those things. Um, so yeah, <laughs> how about you? Yeah, so so can I tie all three of these together? First of all, yes, that please. quote that Alex, um, we're gonna keep it on the musical tip because I thought that quote, uh, she uh, is just spot on for where we are right now, a lot of people yeah. are. Um, and, and I'm gonna add to that quote, one of my favorite quotes in life is by Mozart. And it's similar to the quote that you said, Alex, which is, for me, it's, um, he, Mozart once said, music isn't in the notes, but music is in the space between the notes. Because if music was just note after note after note, it would be noise. Yeah. And in our life, right, what makes it beautiful music is the space. So what, was that, what Alex was talking about is like getting this space, this intermission, so we can actually have the space between the notes. It makes the joy of life, the music of life even better. And, um, and to tie it into like what, what Corey's saying, for me, that's when I work with clients, we look at two kinds of projects. The external project, which we call the game of life, right? Like you got goals, you got, that's, that's cool. Uh, and then it's what I really love is going deep into the internal projects, which, which has to do with these limiting beliefs. And the only time to really discover this is if you have the space between the notes. If, if you're just living a busy, busy life, yeah. Yeah. you'll never have time to look at like what's getting in the way. Um, so, so Warren Buffett once said, busy is the new stupid. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and right. So, so like, can we get more space in between the notes? And for me that, that quote, that Alex said and, and the wisdom of like, where in my life can I get space in between the notes so I can refill, so, so I can refuel, so I can really practice some self-care and self-love because I can't give what I don't have. And one of my favorite um, guiding questions is, um, what are you promoting, allowing, or tolerating? Mm. It's a powerful question to look at, whether it's with my own self-care, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's with others. What am I promoting, allowing, and tolerating? Because oftentimes we think things are happening to us, and then what would it look like if we just took full ownership of our life and said, what are we creating out here? What are we allowing? So that, that would be yeah. my wisdom. That's amazing. That. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's that Devin Bannison wisdom I was hoping to get. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of, speaking of wisdom, you're an author, you're a father. Um, I was wondering if you could kind of tell us a little bit about your journey, because I know you uh, have a master's degree in social work. Is that correct? Uh, public administration. I got uh, a, my, uh, a BA in psychology, but I worked in social work field. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I'd, just, I'd love to hear your, your, like, your journey from, uh, you know, I know you're a, a, a high level athlete as well. Kind of, can you give us a little bit of a background how you got to where you are today? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, uh, I, can, I can tell you the highlights, but I think just as important, I'll tell you the highlights is like, is also the realness of what got me here. And, and mm -hmm. someone says like, you know, Devin, what was your template of success of being a life coach and being an executive coach? And, and, and really one of the things is like, uh, I almost messed up my life several times 
and I learn by not, you know, like I learn from those <laughs> mistakes and I teach other people how not to mess their life yeah. up, you know, like yeah. that. And I think that, um, but my journey, you know, I started out in Queens, New York, born and raised, man. And, um, you know, uh, I had an interesting upbringing. I, I came from a black father, a white mother, and I came out looking Spanish. So early on <laughs> in, my, in my life, uh, there was a lot of like, como esta? and I wish I would have known um, I, I would have learned the language because I, I, I was always caught out there. So, um, but that brought an interesting upbringing. Everybody had their own upbringing of like, where do you fit in and, and how do you connect? And, and um, so I played basketball at an early age. I was one of those guys who went to the park and played all day. And my father taught me how to play ball. He was kind of big into the ball scene. And, um, and, and, you know, things happened in my teenage years. My father, you know, took, my grandmother passed away and my father, um, took a, took a turn for the worse. You know, he started getting into a little drug addiction and, and, and I, you know, he was absent from my life. And, and I made a promise that a lot of young people make at that point when they have an absent parent, which is when I become a parent, I'm going to be a better, a better parent than, than I think I had. Right. Mm -hmm, and, right. um, and so that was the promise. And then when we had our, our, our daughter at 23, I went to college, I got a basketball scholarship. I went to a school in North Carolina. I was a, you know, uh, uh, I would say um, confident. Some may say another uh, word, but I was a confident <laughs> guy from New York City in North Carolina for the first time. And I, and I go to North Carolina and they're telling me about going, hanging out in this thing called the mall. And I'm like, what the heck is the mall? <laughs> and, and because, you know, like where I'm from in New York, we call it the mall, you know, M-A-W-L. So, you know, I play <laughs> basketball. And, and early on when I came back, you know, and I got a scholarship, they gave me like 12 pairs of sneakers. And I used to come home every summer. And I was the, the type of kid who was like, always into the community. So I used to run basketball tournaments at a young age where I'd have, you know, the young people selling water, the 10 year olds selling water, the teenagers DJ, and I had the old people cooking food. So I was always like oh, wow. into the community and giving back. And, and eventually I graduated, I didn't make it to the NBA. And um, I got into social work. And I was working in Brooklyn, um, you know, I was in, in Brooklyn in a place called Bed-Stuy, you know, not Brooklyn now. Like when I was in Brooklyn, it was, it was <laughs> called, it wasn't Stuyvesant Heights, right? When I was in Brooklyn, it was like, we used to call it Bed-Stuy, do or die, right? So, so that's, that, that's kind of like where, you know, it came up. And I used to go into the communities in which, you know, that I grew up in. And, and I went out in Brooklyn and we used to work with what they used to call at-risk uh, at youth. And eventually, mm -hmm. I love changing that name to what I call At Hope Youth. And, um, and I worked in a, in a nonprofit for a number of years. I loved it. Um, and then eventually, uh, I, I created a first-time fatherhood program in that nonprofit that got national recognition. And uh, so I started moving up. And I was a line worker at first. And, and, and initially, this woman came to me. I was a kid who said, I'm going to get my master's after one year. But then like five years later, I never went back and got a master's degree. And, uh, you know, cause I thought I was doing good. I had a couple dollars over lunch money. So I felt like I was good. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, so, so the woman came to me and she said, one of my leaders in, in the company said, um, Hey, what are you doing? Like you, you're our best worker, but you can't really go any further if you don't get your degree. And it was the first time someone slowed down and really was thoughtful about my own development. And I, and I remember that. And she said, you know, go back, get your degree. And I went back, got my degree and I came back to her and I said, you know, I really appreciate it. How can I thank you? And um, I remember her looking at me and saying, Devin, you can never thank me. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? You, you helped me so much. And 
she said, you can't pay me back. And I said, well, I'd like to pay you back. She said, the only thing you could really do is pay it forward. And mm-hmm. she said, there'll be people, there's going to be people that's going to come behind you, that there's, they're, they're going to be looking for somebody to see something in them. And that changed, that shifted my leadership in that company. And for the next several years, I created, I grew in the company and I ended up becoming the director of all the children's services in which I started as a line worker. So uh, life was good. And, and then I became into like professional development and coaching and leadership in the company. And then finally, you know, as I fast forward, I get to a point where it's a turning point in my life. And they gave me a promotion. Now I'm in Midtown Manhattan. I'm not in the boogie down Bronx anymore. I went from Brooklyn to the Bronx. Now I'm in Midtown corner office. Um, better, you know, better view of the city. Uh, $15 salads, right? And and and, and 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 three and about seven minutes into that job, I realized it was the biggest mistake ever made. Wow. The environment was toxic. I wasn't working with children anymore. And I was at this crossroads. And at the same time, Corey and Alex, I was at a crossroads in my life. Many of the people who may be listening may be at that point. And uh, I was getting a divorce. I was calling it a difficult divorce. And uh, so I'm at a job I don't like anymore. I'm getting a divorce. I have what I call a scarcity type of mindset where I'm thinking about what I don't have. I'm not grateful for what I do have. I think my ex-wife is going to take everything from me, right? So mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose it all. And I'm going to eat ramen noodles, right? And I know you guys are younger than me, so ramen means something different. I'm talking about when I grew up, ramen noodles, it was these square packs oh, yeah. that were like, oh, yeah. yeah. Those, yeah. You know, now people go to ramen places. Right, right, right. <laughs> the real ramen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so at that point, I was at this turning point. I scarcely, I met this guy who came to do a training at my job, and he was a coach. And he, he worked for a guy named David Allen, and, and, he, and, and he came in and... Um, I love what he was doing. I said, I'm into leadership, but I love this coaching thing. And he took an interest in me and he invited me. He said, you know, I'm skeptical. You know, he's like, Devin, something about you. And I'm looking at him like, who's this California guy talking about something about me? You know, okay, yeah. you know, Corey, I love California now, but back then I was like, what's up with you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just fast forward, he invites me to a retreat in a place called OJAI California. And uh, mm-hmm. he put it on the email. I'd like you to come to the retreat. And many of your people are listening, maybe at this point where they want to do something, but they're scared or they're fearful or they don't want to pull the trigger or they feel that they don't have enough money. So it took me five days. And the guy said, you don't have to pay for the retreat. He said, just get a plane ticket out here and a place to stay. So after five days, finally, he gave me a a name in this place called OJAI California. I pick up the phone. It's called the Lavender Inn. Now, it's a beautiful place in California, but I need to tell you that the Lavender Inn, if it was in New York City, it would be like by the hour, right? Like we don't know what you're like, what's that Lavender Inn? So anyway, so I pick up the phone, I say, hey, this is Devin, it's my first time in OJ, California. And the woman just starts laughing at me and says, Devin, you know, OJ's that guy we don't talk about uh, out here. She said, this is uh, Ojai. And uh, so I said, my bad, I go down there. My bad. My bad. I go to the retreat, fast forward, I go to the retreat. The third day of the retreat, he asked me two questions, Corey and Alex, and and the two questions changed my life. And the two questions were, what would you do if you weren't so concerned what other people thought of you? And what would you do if money wasn't such a big deal to you? And I paused and I looked at him, I said, well, what I would do if I didn't care and and money wasn't a problem, I love fatherhood, I'm a father. Like I, I do that every day anyway. I'd love to do something with fatherhood. 
And then I looked at him in the most humble New York way. And I said, um, you know, in this thing you're doing called coaching, you're pretty good, but I think I could be better. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, he said, go build the business around that. And I went home and I was like, you can build a business around the things you love. And uh, he said, yeah. And then I built the, then my first event, I invited people to this speaking event I had. I invited people from all over. We taped it. We put it a, a little website. And within five months of that, someone called me and saw it and said, we want to invite you to do a TED Talk in uh, Boca Raton, Florida in front of 15,000 people. So wow. my first professional gig was a TED Jeez. Talk. Jeez. Wow. No, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. And then secondly, then I got into coaching and our good friend Tony was meeting with me because Tony knew this mentor of ours. And he mm -hmm. said, Dev, I know you're in coaching. Read this book. And uh, he gave me this book. It was called The Prosperous Coach by Steve Chandler, Rich Lipton. I read it. And it was the first time I, I felt like, oh, my God, you're talking. This Because I always was into service. I always wanted to be of service to people. And this was like how to build a prosperous coaching practice by serving, not by selling yourself. And mm -hmm. uh, I just stalked these guys. I stalked them. And then I became a coach. And I ended up, um, my first corporate coaching client became the, the company that I left. And um, I need wow. to tell you that. Yeah. Not only yeah. Did, was I, have I been successful now with coaching, working with, you know, pro athletes and finance and doctors all over the world, the work that it took has allowed me to recreate my relationship with my ex-wife. We're best friends. It's changed my life. Mm -hmm. My yeah. ex-wife and I are best friends. So, so for me, I'm not only like what they call the hair club president, I'm the client mm -hmm. too. Like I believe in the world of coaching and leadership mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and that's just became my life and, and, and legacy. That's amazing. That's incredible. Wow. Thank you for yeah. sharing. I mean, it's quite the journey. I mean, I've heard it before, but every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, this is like so great. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, mm. what, do you, what do you think has been like the, the most profound, I guess, like coaching moment that you've had over the course of the years? Or Are there like a couple that maybe stand out to you that are like profound? Yeah. You know, couple things. One was at, on that meditation mountain in Ojai, California, when he asked me those questions. And, and what came from it is I realized that a lot of times we're so worried about how we look or what people think of us. And one of the things that came out of coaching for me is like what other people think of me is none of my business. It's yeah. such a waste of my energy. And, and if I just continue to kind of live into my version of what excellence is, you know, I, I won't have time worrying about what people think I, if I come from service. So that's one. The other two, the other thing is, you know, that I've learned through coaching, one of the most profound things is you, you never have to really be a salesperson. If you commit your life to coming like from a place of love and really serving people, like really serving, not what I call a loaded give where you say, hey, I'll do this thing for you because I'm going to come cash in on it later. No, mm -hmm. if you just if you just put yourself out and serve people and this could be in any aspect of life. This isn't just coaching that what will happen is um, my grandmother used to tell me what you put out there, you get back tenfold. Mm -hmm. And, and that's been my experience. You know, someone asked me with friends, Hey, can we do it? Absolutely. Because for me, it's like, how can I make a difference in the world by serving? And, um, and then the third thing is, I think one of the most important things, and this is for everyone is, um, you got to fill your cup. You know, I usually use the metaphor of a cup 
and an overflow, uh, a cup and this thing under the cup. In New York, we call it a saucer, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, yeah. you know, the thing under S A W C A A, the saucer. And oftentimes, <laughs> you know, oftentimes what we do, Alex and Corey, is, is like no matter what business we're in, say, you know, say you're a leader or a worker or a parent. Oftentimes we're serving people, we're serving our clients, we're serving our children, we're serving our family out of the cup and eventually the cup gets empty. And then we're impatient, we're overwhelmed, we're stressed Mm -hmm. out. So what I love is what I've learned and what I help clients with is what do we need to fill your cup? How do you get inspiration in? How do you fill your cup so there's an overflow? There's an overflow to a point where now, whenever I'm serving my children, my family, my community, I'm never serving from the cup. I'm always serving from the overflow on the cross. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tony told us that a few years ago, and I was just like, oh, I love that analogy and that metaphor. It's just, it's as someone who I work in a service industry as well. I'm a teacher, so I'm always, oh. you know, giving, giving, giving my energy, and. I, over the last, I would say like maybe three-ish years, I've been really working on making sure that I'm continuously giving back to myself as well. I never considered myself an introvert until I started teaching full-time and just giving so much, I really need my introverted time to give to myself. And yeah, I just, I love that saucer. I, I love I love that. First of all, I acknowledge you for being a teacher. My mom's a teacher. My aunt's a teacher. Like, like to me, it should be the highest profession in the world because we're mm-hmm. we're giving our most prized things in our lives, our children, to someone for eight, ten hours, right? Yeah. So, yeah. and and I love what you're saying, Alex. It's like there's a law of inspiration called inspiration in equals inspiration out. And if yeah. you're just giving all day, you can't really give what you don't have. So yeah. what inspires you, right? And that's the list you should make of like, what inspires me, for instance, is like, is like I love hanging out with my son and just laughing. What inspires me, mm-hmm. like you, Alex, sometimes is quiet time without anybody yeah. around, right? Yeah. So inspiration to me, comes, it comes from the Latin root of the word spiro, which means literally to breathe life into. Mm-hmm. So we got to look at when I'm coming into this situation, am I breathing life into it or am I sucking the life out? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. a, that's really, that's really um, a great way to put it. Am I breathing life into it or am I sucking the life out of it? Yeah. Cause no one wants to be, I mean, any person that, you know, you don't want to suck the life out of anything. One of the reasons we like started this whole podcast is like, I have a really, I have had in the past, I'm getting better at it, but like, I care way too much about what other people think and it, <clears throat> it kind of limits things I'm willing to put myself out there on. Uh, I, I mean, I care about what people think in, in some regards. Like when I first started my company, everyone's like, you're crazy, don't do this, go get a regular job. And I was like, fuck you, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. <laughs> so like, there are parts of me that are like, but um, it's really interesting, like through doing this podcast, we've done one a week, we just hit our 300th episode. Oh, 100. Or 100, wow, <laughs> Jesus, sorry. Not yet. Uh, 100th will, episode, yet. we just hit our 100th episode. On our episode. way to 300. On our way exactly. to 300. <laughs> <clears throat> but man, like we did a recap of the last 100 <laughs> and like listening, it's just like 100 hours of, 
of my beautiful wife and I having these very in-depth, very intense conversations over a broad range of topics. And it's almost like this like journal that's gonna live in perpetuity. And it's allowed me to like go back and really think about moments of where I was at in my life and moments where I was coming from a point of scarcity and coming from a point of, oh, I'm not enough or whatever. And like, I hear these things and I'm like, what a what a crazy thing to do something, even though it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. You don't know what the effects are going to be, maybe until years down the road or way longer down the road. Yeah. You know? And I've seen you become more open and like vulnerable in these podcasts. Like when we first started, I would say like, hey, like I'd like, like to talk about like X, Y, Z. And he would be like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> and we started you know, I slowly started cracking open the shell <laughs> and now we've like recapped fights we've had on this, on our podcast. We've talked very, very open and intimately about our relationship because I also think that it's really important for people to hear the insecurities and, you know, some of the bad things in relationships like fighting and disagreeing because we've been together for over 13 years and a lot of people from the outside look at it as that we have this like wonderful beautiful relationship which we do but it doesn't mean it's like perfect all the time like we're human we get in disagreements we get in arguments so um yeah it's just been really beautiful to have this platform yeah so good. So, so can I just add to that? Is yes, that fine? please. I, yes. I want to add to it, and I first want to start with an acknowledgement, right? So, yes. my man Corey uh, has been in a few of my events, and him and his company mm -hmm. um, has done the video and the pictures, and and it never fails that like I get chills thinking about it. <laughs> when you have someone who really loves what they do and is so good and really is about being about serving people, it just comes out. It doesn't even yeah. feel like you're working with them. And yeah. every event I've done, the people, and I get pretty special people from all over the world, they always comment about my main man, Corey, here. <laughs> no, really. Right, like, yeah. like, like, yeah. I believe it. And, and, and that doesn't, I love what you, you guys are saying about everything, about your relationship, about showing the imperfections because to mm -hmm. me, that's what authenticity is, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like if I came in here and I said, hey, I got it all together, like people think <laughs> people want to hear that. I don't look, yeah. if there's someone, this is what I tell people, if there's someone who shouldn't be here, like I'm lucky I'm a free man at this point. So mm -hmm. I'm just happy, you know, like, like mm -hmm. to show your imperfections, whether it's in your relationships or in your life, it actually connects you with the humanity of people. And practice doesn't ever make perfect, even though people have told us that. Practice mm -hmm. makes more comfortable, practice makes better. So to me, you guys are showing what authenticity is, is because authenticity is actually when I'm being authentic about when I'm not authentic. Right, 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 right. Nobody's right. ever like, I'm this walking authentic, no. So for me, like the, what you're sharing with the podcast, that's what people need to hear, the ups yeah. and downs, you know? When I was writing my book, Fatherhood is Leadership, and uh, I, I remember my son, who's similar to me, he was a teenager, and, and my youngest son, they, they horseplay a lot, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I had this deadline for the publisher. And usually they horseplay, and I horseplay with them, and I'm just kind of chill as a dad, I think. And this one day, I feel the pressure on me of this deadline, right? And so finally, they're horseplaying. They're doing what they normally do. And I just turn and I'm screaming, cut the shit, right? <laughs> now, both of my sons look at me like, <laughs> right? So, so, so then my oldest son looks at me, and this is to your point about being imper imperfect. 
my, my oldest son looks at me and says, you know, dad, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Right? I'm like, here we go. I was like, oh, man, you better watch it, right? So, so he's like, I'm like, yeah, what's the question? What's the damn question, right? And he says, um, he's like, uh, what? What part of fatherhood is leadership is that, right? <laughs> so now, so now I'm like, oh wait, 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 wait. I know he didn't go there because I grew up in a, in a society where my, my my parents um thing was back talk, backhand, right? <laughs> so so now I'm looking at him and he's seeing me off my game. He's calling me out on my imperfections, and I looked and I was like, and we all laughed. And I said, you're absolutely right. You got me off my game, and it brought us closer. <laughs> Yeah. So instead of me showing my kids or showing the world how perfect I am, what I show them is how I deal with my imperfections, yeah. how we fall short. And I think that that's the power of what you two are doing as a couple on this podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I, you. I mean, I want to I want to kind of dive into this as well. Um, one of the areas that we've been very uncomfortable uh, in, like really kind of ripping the ripping the wound off um, is around the conversation of race and uh, everything that's been happening with Black Lives Matter. And we've had uh, several like in-depth conversations with people from the LGBTQ community, um, from all different communities about what's happening. And it's been, you know, um, super difficult. And I think we have learned a lot and we've had, we've been challenged on the podcast about like, listen, you know, this is you by, you know, I think I said something like by you saying that, you know, you're leaning, you know, this is where you, this is your privilege coming through. So, um, and I come from, from a family background where I do think that there are racial issues and I'm working on that. So I was just wondering if, um, you would feel comfortable kind of talking about how we can, not us, not us personally, because I'm not coming to you to try to tell me how to fix myself. <laughs> what do you think, like, what would you like to see come out of everything that's kind of been happening? I know that's like a very broad question, but does like one thing in particular come to mind when you see these movements and these things happening as a, as a person of color? So can I give you some context and then I, I can answer yeah, the question, is that cool? Because I think this is such, uh, the fact that you're asking this question is, is to me, the foundation of where we where this has to continue to go. So, because of my unique background, right? I remember at, at, at around 15, my mom, there was this issue, and 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 my mom used to say, you know, I try not to see color, and you know, I was a black young man with a white mom and a black father, and 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 I remember having this conversation with my mom and said, Mom, but you don't realize what it feels like when I walk into a store, and automatically the people who work there start following me. I said, you don't understand what it feels like when I walk down the street and the woman clutches her purse. And in that moment, my mom, there was a breakthrough because she was a great mom. But what she realized was she had a vision of what she thought life should be. There should, people shouldn't focus on race. There shouldn't be racism. But, but the reality was in the moment, she realized that like she's experienced it. You know, when she was dating my pop, she sees it with me. And the moment we identify it and recognize it, then something can happen. Then there's right. change. So I think mm -hmm. that the fact that one, we identify it, one, and then two, how do we have a conversation? So I did a thing called Co-Creating the Bridge, which brought about 600 people together from all over the country and uh, the world around this discussion about race and institutional racism. And, and to me, you know, the easy, it's an it's a in-depth conversation. The easiest way to explain is like the game is rigged. 
And if the game is rigged, we need the people who actually, we don't just need one type of people. We need everyone. We need the people who rig the game to help mm-hmm. create a new game. Right. So, so for me, this discussion of race is not a, um, I think that everyone, I like the analogy of the bridge of what is the stone in the bridge that you want to put down today? Because the stone will change over time. So some of the stones, like for instance, your stones could be, hey, I'm going to have this question as part of my podcast and continue the narrative. Some other people's stone could be um, protesting. Some other people's stone could be changing um, laws. Some other people's stone could be having conversations with their family that's difficult. So, Mm -hmm. So there's no stone too small or big. I just think that we have to create a space in which people can feel comfortable looking like a racist. People can feel comfortable saying something that, that without feeling like they're going to be judged or, um, you know, or, 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 or cast aside. And, and what we've lost is the ability to disagree without being disagreeable. Can we bring all these dis- different perspectives? I don't care who you vote for. I don't care what you look like. Can we bring these different perspectives together and listen from a different place? I think, Corey and Alex, it starts with having real conversations, mm-hmm. but, to, but we need to, I think, stop listening from right, wrong, good, bad, and just listen from points of views. Mm-hmm. And, and what I've noticed over that co-creating the bridge and, and some of the work I do behind the scenes with race and institutional racism is when you create a space where people can feel safe, I used to start every conversation with, what's the one question or comment that you want to make or you want to ask, but up until this point, you've been scared to because you felt like you may be judged. Mm. And that was the thing that ticket. And there was a point where a white guy stood up in, in, our, in our 600 people conversation and said, I am a racist. I realized because consciously and unconsciously I've been racist. And he said, and I've been unaware of the pain I've heard on this phone, on this call. And he started crying. And, he, and then he said, I'm not okay with that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I would challenge people. What I would say is he would never have gotten there. He would never have been able to hear the pain. If when he came on, we said, you're this, you stay in that corner, you mm-hmm. can't talk. So I think that I, to, everyone should find their little stone in the bridge and and no stone is too little and just start with that maybe it's a conversation with your family maybe it's a conversation maybe it's reading on privilege maybe it's you know maybe it's like staying in the uncomfortable conversation Corey because the definition of privilege is I'm gonna take my ball and go home right uncomfortable Mm -hmm. the fact that like can I get comfortable in the uncomfortable conversation that's what this is all about yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, I mean, that's my point. No, I mean, absolutely. And you know, what's really interesting is like, I had, I had an interesting perspective leading up and leading up to all of this. Cause my business partner is gay and I have a very conservative family and like, there was, you know, some, you know, like, are you gay because you're friends with this gay person? And I was just like, and then I was like, oh dang, I was raised in a really like kind of small sheltered thing. And so I think it was, through that and like explaining to people like you know believe it or not like you can be friends with a gay person and you don't you don't have to be gay um even if you touch them 
Right. You touch them, right? right? Oh my God. You can hug them. You're not going to catch right. it. Right. Yeah. Same um, thing with black and white, everything. Go ahead. Yeah. And when we were, we had a, a really great um, conversation with our friend Tony Tillman around race and, and Tony's a black man who is also uh, gay. And when I told him that, like he started crying because he's like, this is so crazy. You know, like, I mean, there are so many marginalized people and, you know, I am so, so privileged and I felt power. I felt powerful in the like having a hard conversation with my my friends and family because it's something I've avoided for years, years and years and years and years. And, you know, I think um, uh, uh, what is it um, protesting with your with your paycheck, I think, is a very strong thing, I think you know, donating money to the causes you believe in, um, is, is really important. And, you know, we've, we've done that as much as we can, but, um, I think having these conversations and like giving platforms and voices is like super, super important. And like also getting out of the way and like, I'm great. I'm good on being challenged because like, I literally have had it so easy my entire life, you know? And, and by identifying that it, it, um, it gives me a little bit of hope that like by having these hard conversations with people that I've surrounded myself with that someday we can kind of come to an understanding. And I think that one of the huge things that really, really bothers me is that neither side in quotes is talking to each other. We're all kind of in our own little echo chamber. So I, when I go online, I, I look at conservative news media. I'm in, I'm in conservative groups. I'm looking at the comments in these conservative groups I did a huge deep dive into QAnon. I, I want to know what the other side is thinking. Whether I think it's bad shit crazy is another is a whole other thing. But like understanding where the other, the idea of the other, is coming from, and trying to meet them in a place of passion, and I'm I have to have a really hard conversation with someone I love like about this very issue, and I'm like I'm dreading it because I, I I want to get angry and I want to get upset, and I'm like that's not the answer. Yeah. And so when I joined your co-creating the bridge call. I was blown away with just all of the, first of all, it was a great, it was a great session. And if anyone is listening, uh, wants to know more, we'll get into the information about what your next project is. I, I, I was only able to come from one, but man, the work that you're doing around that and like listening to people talk and you were holding the space for them. Cause I was like, Oh, he's going to go in on them. And like, you didn't, you know? And I was like, Oh, this is what it's about. It's about listening because like in therapy, sometimes you just saying things, you're like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I just, whoa. And like the therapist didn't do anything. You're just talking, you know? So <laughs> that was really, what was really cool about that, that uh, the idea of building this bridge and the stone and the bridge, um, which I'm so happy that you're, you're doing. How did that come about for you? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I was moved really by um, when the George Floyd death happened. Uh, you know, I've always done stuff behind the scenes. I, I really try to support inner city youth and, and, and black and brown young people who are leaders. And, and I donate a lot of my time to still do that in, in communities that I like serving. Um, but when, when all the stuff started hitting the fan early in the year, it, it, I woke up and it just was a, it wasn't work. It was like, I've been having this kind of conversation all my life because of my background. And, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, feeling included here and feeling excluded there. Everybody, no matter your race, color, your orientation has felt excluded. And so for me, that's, I said, you know what, I'm just going to tell a couple people I didn't promote it. I said, I'm going to just have a conversation. And the next thing I knew, 
Um, we had to like increase the Zoom count, and people were coming from mm-hmm. London. There's a that, lot of people in that meeting. Yeah, people with Slovenia at three in the morning, and um, and I think your point is 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 well taken. Like we got to get out of the echo chamber. It's really about look. If we do what we've always done, we're going to get what we always got. And we exactly. so if we want something different, we have to do something different. And the first way to start the easiest or the it's not easy, it's a, it's a practice is to listen differently. Mm-hmm. You know, we had someone on 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 that call who was a very conservative Christian and she had some issues with Black Lives Matter. Right. Like mm-hmm. like the philosophy. She said, I went to the site. She did her research now. And, and instead of like demonizing her and saying, well, you need to get behind this, I, I said, that's totally okay. You don't need to be behind Black Lives Matter. And I have a question. Forget the organization, right? As, a, as a, just a general way of life, do you consider Black Lives to Matter? And she said, Devin, absolutely. I can get behind that. So, so like mm. you get you, sometimes you can meet people where they are and, and not have them just because someone disagrees with me doesn't make me right or them wrong. So yeah. we need to include all these. I love the fact that you're looking up, you know, I do the same thing. I listen to news from all kinds of different places so I can understand, you know, understand instead of trying to be understood all the time. And for right. me, that's what this conversation is about. We need to bring races together. We need to be sexual orientations together, no matter where you come from, and realize that like we're more alike than different. And can we see that in moving this conversation forward? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just had a, a, the last podcast that we just did was with um, Alex's best friend, who's a, who's a Christian, and just kind of the hard time that Christians are having right yeah. now. Uh, maybe you can talk a little yeah, bit about so that. Yeah, so I wanted to make a quick note because I really liked the quote you just said of being understand, um, understanding instead of understood. Um, yeah, I, I find it really fascinating that there was a, a conservative Christian woman in this group because in my mind, I bad thing I do, I kind of sometimes clump a lot of those people together and I assume that that woman would want to have nothing to do with your meeting. And um, I just think it's really fascinating. Our um, His sister was telling us that one of their um, neighbors has a gay pride flag and a Trump flag out of their home. And I, my mind kind of exploded. And I said, I, I need to talk to your neighbor <laughs> right now. Like, I need to understand how they can be, like, have both, like, support. Like, it just, it's crazy to me. Um, well, the do- oh, I was yes. talking about the, the conservative um, Christian. The yes. So my best friend is uh, grew up Christian, and I didn't really grow up with religion, and it's always been something in our like. She's never pushed me to go to church. She's never like pushed me to do anything, and I think that's why one of the reasons why our relationship has been able to. I love her like a sister, and we have. We definitely have some different views on religion and politics, but, you know, at the end of the day, I want what's best for her no matter what, and she wants what's best for me no matter what. And um, we had a really beautiful conversation about how, like me, some are like, like me, some, a lot of people will kind of like clump Christians or religious people all into this group of like all lives matter and they don't support Black Lives Matter. Um, But I really do think it's like you said to that woman, it's just it's just explaining what we mean by black lives matter and getting to the getting to what they 
believe in or, or understand about the movement because we had someone in our family say all lives matters and I, I said can you explain to me like what you mean by that because I really don't think that person understood what they were saying and turns out they kind of were they kind of weren't like we're still working on it we're still talking about it but um yeah I just we just need to be talking to each other because I think some of the people who have so much hate in their heart and are just really anti-black lives matter I don't I, I some of them are just sorry I'm gonna say it like awful racist human beings and but I do think that we need to find a little bit more compassion in our hearts to talk to those people and to try and get them to just understand like what we mean when we say black lives matters. Yeah. And I just, before I just want to do one more thing. I oh. think that also Devin, when I was 23 years old, I was a Christian going to church and I thought that gay marriage was wrong. So I think that by understanding things and like being like, Oh, you know what? Opinions can change. It doesn't make me a hypocrite. It means I'm learning. Oh, so <laughs> and, and that's the evolution of life. It's like I, I have my wisdom of, of my age now, and, and I didn't have that in my 20s. I was, you know, so, uh, you know, to both your points, you know, one of the things that I learned from my father's addiction, and he got clean, right? And when he got clean, I still was pretty mad at him. And, and, and I had a trouble, I had a, a problem forgiving him. And I remember someone telling me, it's like, do you realize that your father did the best he could with the information he had? And that if you had the same kind of thinking, you would have done the same thing. And that always stuck with me, even to this day, that it, when I look at people, I look at people no matter who, what they're doing and, and who they're believing in and what they're saying is honestly that person right now in this moment in time is doing the best they can with the current thinking they have. And mm -hmm. if I had that thinking, which I don't, I would do the same thing. And when I, when I'm allowed to look at things like that, it brings about the humanity of people. It, it brings about like, like what you say of where you were at 20 isn't where you are at, you know, I'm, I know you're 20 and a half now, but like, like <laughs> the evolution, right? right? So, so, so for me, that, that always is a guiding principle for me that people are actually doing the best they can with the current mm -hmm. yeah that's a really great yeah. point and i've seen you work with people and i've and i've seen changes in the room like i've yeah. seen people's like for lack of a better word brains explode all over the whiteboard <laughs> and they leave their like transformed and that's what's been like so powerful about watching you work is like you are dramatically shifting people's mindsets and like how they are kind of like internalizing information, which is which is why I'm so grateful to be talking to you because I've seen the work that you've done and like every every single conversation I've had with you has been profound and super meaningful. And um, the world is a better place because you're in it. I, I truly mm -hmm. do believe that. I mean, anytime I talk about you with Tony or anyone else that it's just like, Devin is a special, special human being. Um, but yeah, I, I just like that. That's such great insight uh, just about like, this ability to, or not the ability, but like everyone is where they're at and they're doing the best that they can. I, yeah. I love that. 
I love that. Yeah. Super powerful. And I, I think like your, like your mom, I think a lot of people who were kind of raised by like, quote unquote, like hippies taught their children, like, don't see color. We're all the same. Like it sunshine and rainbows. Like we all love each other. And, um, in college I took a class that was called, um, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on it, but it was basically about like diversity within the dance community. And I thought it was kind of like an interesting topic because I was kind of like, well, what, what is there to talk about? It was more about diversity and less about dance, but, um, I kind of was raised with a little bit of this, like, don't see color. And I realized in this class and especially in this Black Lives Matter is like, we do need to acknowledge everyone's race and background and their knowledge and what they know of right now and how they're making their decisions. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's really important when we're having conversations with people who might think a little bit differently. I think a lot of us are so passionate and sometimes that passion might lead, lead to slight anger and uh, conversations might get a little bit aggressive, but approaching it with that insight, I think can lead to more gentle, meaningful, and more, um, successful conversations with people on the other, you know, quote unquote side. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and it's an include, like we need, we need these diverse, look, if two people had the exact same thoughts, there would be absolutely <clears throat> no need for one of them. So, so <laughs> right. Like, like we need the diversity. Like we need the, the differences of opinion. It actually makes us stronger and it points us actually back to our, our, what makes us more similar than different, but we mm -hmm. have to be able to have a space in order to be able to say that safely without feeling like you're making me right or wrong for it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, I think the growth of us as a nation, I think that we've, we've kind of submerged this conversation and I, and, and as long as things are prosperous, we, we, we act like it's not, or it doesn't affect my backyard, but this affects everybody. Cause this is the fabric of who we're being. It's the fabric mm -hmm. of, of what we're kind of passing on to our children. So I think that there's such, we're at such an amazing, as much as people say, oh, this is 2020, is it this kind of year or that year? I think mm -hmm. it's just appropriate that it's called 2020 because it's putting everything in our mm -hmm. front of vision of like uh, all the yes. things that's been under the surface is right here for us to address and really make yeah. a lasting transformation. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. You can't have order without chaos. That's right. Yeah, I, one of my favorite R&B. It was an old school song. It was like sunshine <laughs> and rain. Like, like you need you need it both, right? Yeah, yeah. Joy and pain, sunshine and rain, and 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 all of it is the that's really the oneness that people yeah. talk about. Oneness isn't oh we're all thinking the same way. Oneness is taking all of that, the yeah. protons, electrons, neutrons, and putting it and it mm -hmm. all comes together as one. I would like to know like what kind of projects you have now, any things that you want to promote that people can like learn I, I more don't, from I you don't want to promote anything, okay. but this amazing <laughs> podcast right here that I am happy. I want to come back. This is what I want to promote. Since you said yes. 300 and we're at 100, I want to come back on 300. <laughs> you got it. Spoken into existence. That's what I'm promoting. I love that. Our, our, Deal. Our Absolutely. That's a, that's a deal. <laughs> uh, but if people want to find you, just like Instagram or social yeah. media, where, where can they find you? Yeah, they can. Uh, Devin Bannison, my website 
you know, www.devinbanderson.com, and then I'm all over the social media with uh, just my name. So you guys, cool. And we'll put a link. At, yeah, yeah, we'll put a link of everything in the show notes. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Uh, anything funny happened to you this week or in the last month that like really kind of made you laugh? I mean, your your pizza night, uh, your pizza night photos with your with your son are, are always always make me smile. But you said you yeah. like to laugh at them. Uh, yeah, like, uh, so Friday night pizza night's been going on since my son was four. He's 10 now. So this is six years of a commitment that every Friday night him and I go on pizza night. And uh, it was one of the agreements we made when I, when I was break, we were going through the divorce that, like, you're special. And it's just, it's grown. It's kind of went viral. Like, people, like, they, they'll text me. Here's funny. Like, I get, like, death threats sometimes of, like, what happened to pizza night? I didn't see him, like, the last, bro. Like, like, so, so my son and I, um, you know, he's 10, you know, and my other son, his birthday was yesterday. So, you know, I'm, I'm laughing every day. I, I think that one of the things um, a 10 year old really enjoys is the art of farting. So uh, I think that I was coaching the other day, I was coaching his game. And, um, and, you know, I tried to slide one in, man. I thought it was going to be a silent one. And all the it would have went over with all the other kids. But my son, of course, points out, hey, coach, hey, dad. You know, we, I heard you know, that. I heard that. <laughs> he blew me up. So, so that was the funniest thing. I had to laugh. Yeah. I'm going to piggyback. I'm going to piggyback on that. And I'm going to bring back an old school funny moment. I was walking down the street on a busy, crowded New York street. And I had my headphones on listening to a podcast. And I let one rip. And I was like, damn, that was loud. And I turned around. And it was like I had parted the Red Sea. Dude, so many people heard it. It was just like, whoa, dude. Yeah. Oh, man. yeah, I'm also a 10 year old, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have a shirt that, uh, I have a shirt that my boy uh, gave me and it says, don't grow up, it's a trap, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Because the laughter and the joy of a <laughs> Amen. Oh, I love that. Amen. Um, I looked at my notes and was reminded, and I am so glad I didn't talk about it earlier because this is perfect. We're gonna wrap it all up to the beginning. Corey was posting a picture of him, of I think me or himself, like looking off in like a loving way. And the he was writing in the caption, "When Bay brings you Cheez-Its," and we we couldn't remember how to spell Cheez-Its and if there was like a trademark or an R or and so we had this like 10 minute conversation in bed about how to spell Cheez-Its and would it be Cheez-Its with like an apostrophe S or would it be Cheez-Its with an S and we're just sitting there just like totally like laughing at each other and then finally one of us googles it um but I was surprised as to how long we were talking about the grammar of Cheez-Its. <laughs> well, that's a serious conversation. I mean, it I is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really important so, things. So, so as uh, now this this may uh, this can go either way, man. <laughs> so you're a Cheez-It lover, right? Oh yeah. Do you do you eat Cheez-Nips? No, fuck cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling people, any respectful, real cheese is not eat cheese. Yeah, dude, it's so that's yeah. Fuck cheese nips. No, dude. One time we went to a movie and she got me like the okay, the, the, went, the Whole Foods version of cheese nips, and no I was cheese. I was like, 
There was yeah. no Cheez-Its for me to get. Oh, God. That's great. But what we were also, it's like, what is the plural of Cheez-Its? Cheez-Its? Like, it. we... It. And Cheez-It. Devin, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I love you. Ya. You're the best, man. Thank you so much. Don't hang up a minute. I'm stealing conversation. It's about to go down. I'm feeling